there and a very warm welcome as every Friday to Bergos Now. My name is Aurelia Rauch and I have an extraordinary guest with me today, my good friend Kostis. Hi Kostis. Good afternoon, wonderful to be here. It's such a pleasure, honestly. It's so funny how the world works sometimes. I got an email from my dear colleague Guy and from Vanessa and they suggested I should talk to you. It was like, okay, I know this guy pretty well <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy to invite him to do so. So we met This was pre-pandemic, so this is a while ago. We met at a sort of little conference gathering and you spoke, uh, as I still remember it, super eloquently and, and enchantingly and convincingly <laughs> about, you. yeah, you did, about impact investment. And it was a really, it was a touching presentation because you really illuminated how important this facet of investment is and what you do there. So how have the years since then been for you and are you still doing that? Yes, indeed. Uh, busy years, interesting years, exciting years, creative years, I would say. It's been a while indeed. Um, I still remember the gathering was very special because the audience was also extremely interested yeah. in, in understanding and learning more. I think that four years later, we know a little bit better um, and a little bit more about this kind of methodologies. Um, but I think feel also that my personal interest is going more and more into a specific thematic uh, direction, and that is reforestation, carbon sequestration, nature-based solutions. Um, and I'm honored to be today, since the last time we met, uh, the chairman of the board of Generation Forest Invest, which is an extraordinary company that uh, we would love to say a little bit more about. Today. I, yes, and, and that's really the reason because we chatted about it and I thought it was just the most insi really insightful uh, topic to talk about at the moment, especially since we are so frequently talking about the dimensions of sustainability and, and how the world is shaping up to be more generally supportive in that way. Um, do you want to dive right in or should we quickly introduce us with us? <laughs> uh, no, we should introduce who is with us, and this is uh, Andreas Ecke. He is the uh, CEO, the founder and CEO of Generation Forest Invest, but he's also a pioneer. Uh, he's an exceptional personality, if you ask me, globally. I don't think there are a lot of Andreas Ecke out there. Hmm. Um, and also very, very creative and innovative and very um, inspiring in what he does. And of course, he's overall track record so I think uh, I mean it's my pleasure working with him but it's also I feel extremely interesting for our audience that he's here with us today and Andreas I have to thank you you are joining us all the way from Panama how are you today hi hi uh, greetings from Panama to Switzerland yes I'm here in in Panama and I'm I'm very happy to be on this uh, podcast together with Costis and you Aurelia and Let's go forward from here. It's fantastic to have you, really. I'm so thrilled. I, um, I'm full of questions. I don't even know where to start. I think maybe a good one is to maybe just generally set the ground and explain what nature-based solutions are, right? Like when we're talking about all the challenges that climate change presents us with and the, the ones that we're already feeling or the ones that we're foreseeing and how we as a whole are reacting to this. Maybe you can talk about the specific sure. issue of nature-based solutions. Absolutely. Uh, happy to. And it was a hot topic uh, during 2023. Uh, there was probably not one conference, uh, the global conference, investment conferences, the uh, economic forums that did not touch on the subject. Yeah. So I feel there is a substantial shift on how we look at nature today. 
uh, we are not only trying to protect it, but we are trying to use it. We are trying to advance nature and also use its services as a solution to global problems like climate change, water scarcity, uh, human health. And I think this is probably the simplest and the most straightforward definition of what nature-based solutions are. It's super fascinating. It truly is. I mean, you touched on some of the conferences uh, that you, I think, recently went to, right? Sure. I mean, we discussed that in Davos at the World Economic Forum, um, the Global Impact Investing uh, Network conference. Uh, there are this year specifically, I've been in a lot of conference, but we had a lot of sustainability driven, linked impact driven conferences. And I think this also shows a tendency. And one of the major themes was uh, around nature based solutions to combat climate change. Right. So the goal is how we can solve the climate change problem, how we can combat this issue, this challenge. Yeah, it really feels like every Everybody's talking about it and without even having a super deep understanding of it yet, which I'm, I'm trying to reach uh, by uh, chatting with you today. Um, I, I think it would be interesting to also understand why this is such a trend, right? I think that yeah. there were so many, I, I don't know, streams of solution creation. And, and why are we, why is this at the moment such a, such a tangible trend? I think, first of all, because of regulation, right? We see governments, the European Union, they're trying to implement measures to reduce carbon footprint of their economies. Sure. That's yeah. that's the, the main goal, right? The pressure. We have seen also the climate change effects, how they affect our economy, our daily lives. Uh, uh, and, and, and I feel that at the end of the day, it's not anymore about protecting and saving nature is also about protecting and saving our economy. So it can become very costly. The climate change effect effects are becoming very costly. Um, every year more, we see the intensity. Very so relevant, regulation yeah. is definitely a trigger yeah. that pushes that forward. International agreements, of course, help. The Paris Agreement is an example. Public awareness. Um, the public is more and more concerned on, on what's happening with climate change. Yeah. And definitely the commitments that a lot of corporates have today to reduce their CO2 footprint. Um, and they're not only doing that for regulatory reasons, but also for reputational reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, we, we've been hearing a lot of announcements from big corporates and said, like, we want to be net zero carbon neutral by 2030. Mm -hmm. So I think these four are the main reasons why this is a hot topic uh, uh, right now as we speak. It's a very insightful way to frame it. I think it's very understandable, right? And I think that we, we're we sort of on this journey where we move from carbon trading to you know, carbon offset trading, I should, I should yes. correct myself, uh, to various solutions. And we find some might work better than others, correct? Um, maybe I can I can shift over to Andreas for this for this next question, if that's okay for you, Kostis, uh, unless I, I cut you off in any He's the way. expert, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that you, um, at Generation Forest Invest, you really do pursue a very particular approach to this. And I think it's in the name, reforestation is of course a, a hot topic, but there's ways to do it and ways not to do it and ways that work better and, and not so well. So Andreas, you as, as the absolute certified uh, you know genius in this in this field can you explain to us what exactly you do and why you do it the way that you do it well first of all i, I thank you for putting me here and and let let, let try to explain all, all these elements um and to get into an exchange with you on on this i have to say that the work we are doing and costis is mentioning that we are doing a, a good work that this is basically it's it's my team and myself so i'm 
just one person in a fantastic team who is doing this work. And uh, what we have done is we're basically a 30-year-old uh, startup, as people say, so because we are innovating. Mm -hmm. And about a decade ago, we understood that we were working on the issue of improving the social and environmental impacts of the plantation yeah. industry. Basically, something all industry have to do is to have to look at how can I improve my social and environmental performance with what I am doing, right? So it's not something right. extra, something outside. It's about what do you do and how can you create a more environmental friendly version of that. And yeah. we did that. Yeah. But doing that, we understood that we, we had an underlying issues we couldn't really resolve, which has to do with risk. And so we know that in the countries we are working, mostly tropical countries, we have tremendous growth, biological growth. That's fantastic. But we also have tremendous risks. And uh, the idea was, how could we lower actually the risk that the discount rate we are using is not the highest discount rate and our investors understand that they can use a lower discount rate and by that uh, create more sustainable solutions and not overusing um, nature. And that's basically what it is about. We were very uh, good on taking out of nature things we needed and then in big monoculture plantations we produced them and that was an enormous advancement uh, we couldn't have fed all the people on earth if we would not have done this in agriculture and in forestry we yeah, produce sure. the, these uh, plantations are highly productive. Now climate change kicks in and the productivity is not the only thing you're looking at. You're looking at resilience. And as you can imagine, a system which does uh, consist out of one element is not very resilient. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> what we thought, what about if we can combine the biodiversity and by that, the resilience of a natural forest with the productivity of a plantation. And what we mm -hmm. created uh, was what we now call the generation forest. So what we do is, and that has been an accepted innovation in the field, and now more and more companies going towards the usage of native species, so we don't only use exotic species, we're not dogmatic. We do use here and there, for example, we do use teak and very good teakable soils. Um, but our focus is on the native species now for 30 years. So we have 30 years of silvicultural experience. And by uh, using not only exotic, that's the first step. And the second step is we don't use one. We use six, seven species per site. We have a portfolio of more than 30 species. So we have mostly native mixed species and then we don't use only one age what we do is when we do the thinning so the intermediate harvest we replant and then in the year 30 you could mm -hmm. imagine that you have a forest which is uh, composed out of not one but many species not exotic but mostly native and not one age class but several age class and any investor okay. understands that diversification means lowering your risks so that's mm -hmm. the very first thing and by using nature as the main driver, what a surprise at the end, what turns out that we lowered risk by using natural dynamics in our forest. Just to give an example, if we have an attack from insects, we do look at it and we take a GPS point where it is and two days later our people go back there and mostly it ends. So we don't need chemic, chemical usage um, and not because we wouldn't use it to save the trees, but we don't need it because we have birds. 
So biodiversity becomes an economical factor, very simple to, to show that. So that's basically what yeah. we are doing. And now with the carbon market and the coming biodiversity market, we basically created something kind of without knowing. We, want, we knew what we wanted to create, but we didn't know that we were basically creating the example of this new economy of environmental system services. Andreas, that's incredibly inspiring. And for somebody like me who has, you know, not the biggest depth of knowledge about the question of reforestation and what challenges it poses, may I ask you a question that might be a little bit, uh, you know, easy for you to answer, but I'm wondering how you go about identifying sites on which to do this and how scalable is it really, right? I'm, I'm assuming that there's certain qualifiers to one side versus another that would make it, you know, a bit, maybe lend itself better to hosting these kinds of systems. And how do you go about finding these? How much can you scale? I'm assuming it is a pretty scalable business, but what sort of the, what are the typical challenges also that you run into in terms of growing your business and growing these forests? Well, the challenges, of course, are multiple and our work basically every day is reducing all this minimal risk. So there is there is not the risk analysis of what we're doing is not that we have this super big threat of something which will wipe us out. What we have, we have a lot of small risk if and if we manage them well, we improve the performance of our forest. That's basically what it is. So it's, it's kind of a puzzle of work elements. And using the side you're It's, it's a very good question because it, it, it's the main fault of forest investors. So if you look at where have people lost money, they have mostly lost money because they found a species they liked and they looked at the market saying, oh, they are paying so much for teak, let's plant teak. And then they planted it, uh, then they planted teak and there is a, a very uh, innovative and, and uh, teak investor or, or Swiss investor who invested in Panama Antique, but he used the wrong site. So sadly, there is money lost because we don't use the right site. How we find the right site, and this is, in our case, this is another advantage of being closer to nature, is we basically replicate the forest which had been on that site before. As you know, in the tropics, huge areas of our countries here have been deforested. Without humans, these countries would, most of them would be totally covered by forests. So over the last decades and even centuries, we have been deforesting these countries. So we go back on a site and we look what kind of species composition do have neighboring forests and do, what do we know from the soil? What are the species here? So basically, if you want, so we use species which know the site. I mean, it's not knowing, but just to uh, illustrate that, right? So kind of the species knows the site, is adapted to it. So we lower the risk of wrong allocation by that enormously because we basically rebuild the formerly existing forest, but we have a big difference. We have a much higher density of value. So we plant more valuable species per hectare, and that's the difference to the native forest. We have a very similar biodiversity, but we have a different composition. And we're having this different composition to make more money for our investors. So we have the same environmental impact, but we're making more money because we have more value per hectare. We plant more trees than in a natural forest would occur. And let me keep you for a second in that question of investing, if I may. 
because of course what you do is you invite investors in and i wonder really on the we're a bank of course this is also on the forefront of our thoughts how to how to generate wealth for protect and generate wealth for people uh, how, is this more something for private investors for companies for what scale of investment are we even talking about is this something that an individual is interested in at what level how does the investment landscape really come to fruition i mean what we have to let's let's say in a in a more critical way we did for many years over more than two decades we did something beautiful many people liked Right? So, well, they are rebuilding the tropical forest in a sustainable way. They create work for the local communities. This is a very stable system, etc. So people liked it, but actually nobody needed it. Mm -hmm. Now we have a huge change, which is we are happy. I mean, it's kind of by accident, but we now not only produce timber in a sustainable way, which is a relatively small market, we are actually specialized on fine tropical timber like mahogany and rosewood, these various, this is not even a commodity. So that was a niche, but now from being in a niche, we are turning into something actually everybody needs, which is carbon compensation. So we know that everybody, all the companies have now to reduce their carbon emissions for all kinds of reasons. Some do voluntary advancements on those, others wait for regulatory Uh, issues to come in so they have to but everybody at the end will lower their emissions and everybody will come to a bottom where they can't lower even further and in that mm -hmm. moment we come in so they need to compensate for the remaining emissions and for example a bank has very little emissions right so you would have very few emissions you have but you also have to reduce it how you can reduce it to a certain point but then at the end you have something and then compensation comes in and especially in europe there are a lot of like ideas i i don't know why people don't understand it and instead of saying uh, oh you're paying for your guilt or something no i am internalizing economic externalities into my in, into my value chain and that's a historical moment and that means everybody needs it so when you ask me who and how this is invested in it's actually in multiple forms and maybe costis can give a little bit more insight also on why this is impact investing but why this is also much beyond what is now impact investing it's it is mainstream to go into environmental system services super fascinating costis you want to expand on that yes i can explain a little bit and it's also our concern right now when you look at what's happening in the markets Uh, we definitely have a higher demand, as Andrea said, because we have to sequester carbon. Uh, but that always triggers a, a very quick development of a market with questionable projects of low quality. Greenwashing is a huge problem right now, yeah. but also the social aspects of such projects, um, the social and environmental aspects. So the biodiversity component is practically in existence and we see a lot. We have now projects you know, popping up like mushrooms everywhere in the world. I think this is a concern, especially because the investor, I mean, the investment community and the companies are not properly educated to be able to select the right projects. Yeah. So I feel one of the reasons that I also uh, decided to actively support Generation Forest 
Um, I mean, my involvement with that goes back 15 years. So my original thoughts of investing in the concept were completely disconnected from the carbon markets, uh, which is the the trigger today, right? right? right yeah. uh, but still, I think we need to be extremely careful because there are a lot of bad projects out there. I feel that um, uh, this is a, the safer solution of addressing the problem. Uh, it's reputationally risk-free the way that we're doing that because it's so well thought from all the different angles, the social and the environmental as well. Uh, the companies have the opportunity, and this is interesting because Generation Forest Invest, as I told you before, very innovative approach. Mm-hmm. Andreas, very innovative approach 30 years ago, but the concept has been developed very much. And today, also another innovation, and this is a, spe- a special product that Generation Forest is offering to corporates, corporates, companies, asset managers, financial institutions that want to reduce uh, their footprint. And in in principle, they are getting into a contract, a long-term contract, in order to be able also to fix the prices. Mm-hmm. Um, stable prices over the years, reputationally free, risk projects, etc. And that's also unique for the market. It's well tested. It works very well. And I think this is the way that we should go ahead. And Andreas was always saying we have an open source concept. So we we want that the generation forest is copied by a lot of people so that we have a lot of generation forests <laughs> globally. I There's no competition so that we can also reach our um, uh, United Nations Sustainable Development Goals when it comes to climate change. Yeah. I think this is the key here and this is probably what we need uh, to keep from our discussion. I think it's a, it's it's just wonderful and really inspiring, I have to say, especially in the landscape where I think uh, somebody the other said, they said to me, you know, the headline in a newspaper, a man bites dog gets more clicks and more views <laughs> than dog bites man. So I think that, of course, the, the bad sheep and the things that don't go quite as planned and then it was supposed to be, uh, you know, this initiative for carbon trading or whatever, and then it doesn't go right. I think that gets a lot of attention. So I think our minds are a bit clouded sometimes in terms of how fruitful sure. these these initiatives can be, of course, right? It's it's the media landscape. Andreas, before I let you guys go, um, I, I, I know this because we, we talked a little bit about it um, before we started recording this podcast, that the fact is that we are uh, good friends with various shippers and we have a big big history and standing in the shipping industry can you uh, and you mentioned a project that that you're particularly excited about could could i press you on on telling us a bit about it is that can you talk about it yes i'm, I'm happy to do that um actually i have a very intimate relationship to shipping because my my first training was shipbuilding so i i really i love that <laughs> In Hamburg, awesome. in, in Hamburg at Blomont Foss. So uh, I have, have uh, my heart goes there to, if I see ships, <laughs> I know how, what a tremendous work it is to build them. So um, yeah, what we are doing, we are actually combining the shipping companies have needs of compensation, very big needs. And actually they're one of the industries where it is very difficult to reduce the emissions. Um, because it's technically very difficult. You can't have a hydrogen-powered uh, ship because you don't have mm-hmm. hydrogen stations on the ocean. And the volume of hydrogen you would have to transport is, is much too big for the ship, so you would only transport uh, hydrogen and not containers. So we know that the industry has a big issue. 
and that they I, and I also have spoken to many industry representatives who are very concerned about this. How can we lower the emissions? And it, it is difficult. They do their work there, but we know that there's an enormous amount of emission to be compensated. So, yeah. as Costis mentioned, our um, our long-term projects, and that's what we are doing. We are, we sell. We we are sold out on our VCU, so on the carbon certificates you can buy upfront, and we are selling them for over thirty dollars. So we are very high price in the market, but we are sold out. You cannot buy them. And so what we give people with our carbon concession is, it's really a concession. They will get all the carbon coming out of a forest we are building for them over the next forty years. And yeah. with a fixed price today. So that's very interesting for anybody who has a long-term interest. And I know yeah. from the industry, the shipping industry, they are very long-term thinking people. So mm -hmm. um, that's one of the solutions we are offering. But as we are in Panama, we want to combine two things here. We want to give the shipping industry access to long-term carbon through our corporate carbon concession. And at the same time, we want to help Panama to improve the situation. As everybody in the shipping industry knows that Panama had reduced the number of ships going through the Panama Canal now because climate change and El Nino is kicking in strongly because yeah. of the drought. There is not enough water for the Panama Canal as usual. So ships, there can less ships than operationally could go through can go through now because of the lack of water, because every time the locks open, the water goes to the sea. So it's kind of used. And then what it means is, for just to give you a number, for Panama, they expect that, the, um, that this reduction of the, of the sales of the service of the Panama Canal would be above $700 million dollars. So that effect of the lack of water causes the Panama Canal to have less income by going close to a billion dollars. That's huge for a country with four million inhabitants, right? The impact, everybody will feel that. So why is there the water problem? It's a climate change on the one side, El Nino as an expression of that. But at the same time, the Panama Canal watershed had been deforested. So there is a big project here by the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute called Agua Salud, which shows that the cover, the vegetation cover of the land makes a huge difference in how the hydrological capacity is working. And especially they found out that native species mixed reforestation, so exactly what we are doing, is the, is the, the vegetation which creates the most water benefits of all. So we want to combine the carbon concession with the op opportunity of the industry to help, if you want, so the Panama Canal to, to produce the watershed to produce more water for the canal. So, and we have already now uh, several of big shipping companies interested. And what I found beautiful is we asked them, do you want your project for yourself? Or would you think about a collaborative approach with your competitors? And they actually mm -hmm. say about the Panama Canal, we are all users here, so we are not competing there. And we need more ships going through the canal, so we are open to, um, to, um, yeah, to a non-competitive but a collaborative approach. And if you ask me, we should have a roundtable with your clients who are from this, how maybe the bank could actually 
be kind of um, and a facilitator for this collaborative approach. I want to congratulate you on your work. I really do think it's incredible, really, and it's incredibly beneficial, which is also resonating in, in the in the great responses that you're getting from everybody in the industry. And I think probably, you know, this podcast will, will broaden the awareness of this, if it can, a little bit even further. Andreas, uh, I, I want to thank you so very much for being there. But uh, before we before we part ways, I want to ask Kostis if there's anything I ne neglected to ask that you want to add at the end. I think we discussed about the basics um, from an investor's angle. I think that what we always say is be careful when it comes to carbon projects. Uh, at the same time, we feel that this is a tremendous opportunity from an equity investment aspect um, as the market is right now going in that direction. Yeah. So it should not be neglected. And if it's combined with very strong social impact, and environmental impact characteristics, biodiversity um, involving uh, local populations, etc., then it's uh, it's a really a win 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 win. So definitely worth looking at such strategies. That was also the reason that I got uh, actively involved in such a thing. Um, I think this is what we can inspire people, but at the same time, it can be in such an attractive financial way that there's absolutely no argument against it. Yeah, it's true. Kostis, thank you so much for your time today. My really, pleasure, really fantastic to chat with you thank in you this so format. Much. And Andreas, thank you so much for taking the time, not only for doing your work and, and all of that, but also taking the time to speak with us today. It was, it was really so. wonderful. Thank you very much for the invitation. We thank you. And we thank you as always for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope that you're back when we're back on Friday with more from Pegasus Now. Until then, bye-bye.